0: You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. Alright everybody, welcome to the ninth edition of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I am super excited because Ricky's not here. I'm just kidding. He's not here, but that's not why I'm excited. I'm excited because we're going to finally do some music, which is like one of my favorite things to talk about, especially when you add the occult into it. I didn't mention that Ricky's not going to be here, so I have a... uh, Special surprise, beautiful co-host, my wife, Tracy. Hey, everybody. We're going to have some fun tonight. I can't wait to even... This could really be like a two-hour show, and it may be something that if you guys like it and send us some feedback, we may end up doing like one show a month that's nothing but music, and we can feature a different artist or something, because you'll see once we go through this, it's a really quick run-through, and there's so many details. Each one of these stories could be a show of their own, but we're going to get through about four of them tonight.
1: Sounds good. I'm excited.
0: What we're going to talk about first is an author by the name of R. Gary Patterson. Now, R. Gary Patterson, I I would advise everybody to look him up uh, and read his books. He's got two books, especially on rock and roll. He's a rock and roll historian, but he's got one called Take a Walk on the Dark Side, Rock and Roll and Legends. Really good book. And he's got another one called Hellhounds on Our Trail. Now, you may not know this guy's name right off the bat, but you will know something he's came up with. Most of you, I am sure, have heard of... The 27 Club.
1: Yes, I've heard of that.
0: Well, what happened was back in 1998, he was writing this book, Hill Hounds on Our Trail. So he starts writing about Robert Johnson, who we're getting ready to talk about. He died at 27. Then Janis Joplin. Then Jimi Hendrix. Then Brian Taylor from the Rolling Stones. And then Jim Morrison. Well, when he started putting all these together, he realizes they're all 27 years old. So, he did a special on VH1 and what have you. So, the 27 Club that everybody's heard about, he's the one that actually came up with that.
1: Wow, that's so interesting. You know, just to know that all those people died at the age of 27. It's really, I'm waiting to see what all he gets into with this book. Because he's got a couple of good books out. He's very informative. Let's get started and talk about it.
0: Well, like I said, you know, even since the time he's came out of the book, you've had Kurt Cobain. You've had Amy Winehouse and, mm-hmm. a, and a bunch of other ones. So, yeah, that's that's something that's not going away anyway soon. But but let's talk about Robert Johnson, because most people, I'm guessing since we have a younger crowd out here, most of you have never heard of Robert Johnson. I want to play just a little snippet of this song for you. It's called Crossroads. It's going to really have a lot of meaning when we get into the crossroads here. You're going to see where this song came from.
1: All right, guys.
0: Sing it, Robert. Sing it, you bluesy bastard. (laughs) Now, that song was covered by Eric Clapton, so a lot of you will know the Eric Clapton version of Crossroads, but here's the Robert Johnson story. Robert Johnson was born in 1911. He's actually one of these people that died at 27 years old. That's not the, the famous part about Robert Johnson. The Robert Johnson part that is the biggest myth out there is Robert was a horrible guitar player. He would hang out with the best guitar players in, in the Delta area, and he played so bad that the people would, would come to the other blues players that were sitting out of these little honky-tonks or what have you. They called them juke joints. The people that would listen to him would come up and beg the other people to get him off stage. because oh he would, gosh. He would get up and play like when they were on break or something. Oh. And they were like, oh, my God, this guy is horrible.
1: Oh, poor guy. Yeah.
0: So, he leaves. He disappears for six weeks. He's out looking for his dad in Memphis, Tennessee. When he comes back six weeks later, he's like the best blues guitarist in the area.
1: Well, how'd that happen, though?
0: Well, that's a good question because... If you listen to any of the, the huge, uh, the blues artists, one of the guys, uh, name was Sonny. He will tell you flat up that he sold his soul to the devil. Now, you may ask, okay, well, that's kind of a just brave statement for somebody to make. Mm-hmm. But here's why. In the Delta, it, it's a really known myth and legend that if you want to get good at music, you go down to what they call the crossroads, thus the song crossroads. Mm-hmm. Now, the crossroads is in Clarksdale, Mississippi, which is where he was at the time, between Highway 61 and 49. That's the crossroads. In voodoo, they say that if you go down to this crossroads and you just play a few, you know, uh, a few strums of the guitar, mm-hmm. you'll feel a presence behind you. Ah. It's a gentleman by the name of Scratch. Scratch is also Satan. Oh, God. So, think about the whole devil went down to Georgia deal with, with Charlie Daniels. All this was based on, on these myths.
1: Wow, I did not know that. That's so what surprising. happens
0: is he goes down and, and you play these these uh, couple strums. You feel the presence. You hand the guitar behind your back. You don't dare look. You just hand it behind your back. You will hear Satan tune your guitar to a certain pitch. He's going to hand it back to you. If you take the guitar back, you're agreeing to a pact with the devil. If you don't, then you don't. So when you take the guitar back, here's what you're going to get. You're going to become fantastic. You're going to have adoring fans. You're going to have tons of women, fame, fortune, but you're not going to live very long, just the way that it is.
1: So you have to make that decision. You want to live that short, fame life or be a nobody, basically. Basically. Is that what you're saying?
0: So he spent time playing guitars inside these cemeteries that are right there at the crossroads, and there you go. So he goes back. Now, all of a sudden, he's the greatest blues guitarist around. Everybody loves him. He's going to all these juke joints. He even had a cataract in his eye. And um, so when he would lean down sometimes and the light would hit it a certain way, people would swear that was like the evil eye. Now, he also invented, there was a a little move that he did that he called the Robert Johnson turnaround. Mm -hmm. Sometimes on stage, when he would get to a certain lick that he didn't want to see the audience see how he played, he would turn around. The audience would then say, he's doing something he doesn't want us to see. That's the Satanistic plays that he's learned. And, and he's not allowing us to be able to see it. Well, what happened with uh, Robert? He had plenty of women. He picked out a, a little woman every juke joint he went to. Mm-hmm. Well, one night he apparently picked out the wife of the club owner.
1: Oh, yeah, that wasn't smart, yeah, probably. Yeah, not
0: good. He had one of the blues guys that he used to hang around, telling him all the time, never drink from an open bottle of whiskey.
1: Wow. And apparently,
0: well, apparently this guy knew what he was talking about. So mm-hmm. at this club with this guy's wife, he gets an open bottle of whiskey He drinks it. It was laced with strychnine. Oh, man. He died a very gruesome death. Took him three days to die. He went to a buddy's house. They took him a couple of houses down. Took him three days to die. And, And the legend says that when he died, he was on all fours howling like a dog. He was in so much pain.
1: Oh my God! Why in the world would it take three days, though? I mean, well, do you think that was the devil just making no, him suffer?
0: strychnine is a poison that just doesn't. Oh, I thought not, it was... no, it's not going to work very quick. Strychnine is basically rat poison. Oh, I got you. So you gotcha. know, it depend on how much you drank or what have you. There's not going to oh, be that I much see. in there. Okay. Ooh. We're gonna we're gonna lead from Robert Johnson onto our Gary Patterson that, that wrote this story. So he was one day he was in Mississippi, and some friends of his said, "Hey, let's go down to the crossroads." Mm-hmm. So they went down the crossroads. It was him, a guy friend of his, and a woman friend of his, and his girlfriend. So four of them go down to the crossroads. When they show up, the young lady that was there, not his girlfriend, but the other young lady, she sees a black snake curled around a headstone. She starts hitting it with a stick. Mm-hmm. And he's you know, he's like, well, I don't think I would be doing that if I was you. probably just leave that alone. Yeah. And so his friend said, hey, let's, let's get a bag and let's dig some of this dirt up. I mean, we're here at the infamous crossroads. Let's take some of this home with us. So they all get little bags of dirt and they take them home with them. The young lady that was hitting the snake, the night that she got home, she suffered a brain aneurysm. Wow. She survived it, but she suffered a brain aneurysm. Yeah. 15 minutes after leaving while still driving, one of his best friends had a heart attack on the way home.
1: Oh my God. Because they had the dirt?
0: I guess because they've got this dirt. Oh, wow. So then, you know, R.J. Patterson, he's out to dinner with a couple people the basis from 10 years after, which is really into all this uh, paranormal stuff. And then he was also... With Eric Clapton's drummer. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, I got some of this dirt out in the car. And, and Clapton's drummer's like, oh, no, no. kids, keep in mind, Clapton was obsessed with Robert Johnson. Yes. They even re-recorded a crossroads. He knows the story. And he's like, oh, that's, not, that's too much mojo. Yeah. I don't want that stuff Ain't do with it. Well, when he gets in the car, he finds out that he doesn't have the bag in there. Guess who has the bag? His girlfriend. And his girlfriend calls him, so there's all kinds of weird shit going on at her house. The alarm's going off in her house. It won't go off. She can't do anything. So he gets him to go ahead and take the dirt, and he tells her just take it out to a river and just toss it. Mm -hmm. You know, he don't know if that's going to do any good or not. But the bottom line is, it's going to be something that, that he thinks, at least mentally, will ease her mind. So that's kind of what he did to fix the problem. You know, you've got stories now with the Crossroads. And like I said, that's right there in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And that's going to kind of lead us into the next story. So and wait,
1: though. but did So did nothing bad happen to her then after she dumped the dirt in the river? Do you no, know?
0: no, just the, all the stuff that was happening at the house. Oh,
1: well, don't be touching stuff you ain't supposed to be touching.
0: Well, and, that's, <laughs> and that would probably be my viewpoint. It's probably just don't touch stuff that you don't need to be touching. So that's going to lead us into the infamous... Led Zeppelin. And this is kind of a long story, but this bears a lot of details if you're really going to get the true test of it. Man, I don't even know where to start. You know, let's let's first start with, I want to talk about Kenneth Angler. Kenneth Angler is a gentleman that was a known Satanist. He was a worshiper of Aleister Crowley. Let's talk about Aleister Crowley so you can get back. Mm-hmm. A lot of people may not know who Aleister Crowley is. They may know the song uh, that Ozzy Osbourne did, Mr. Crowley, Crowley. yeah. Which obviously is is a reference to it. Aleister Crowley, God, we could do two shows on him alone. Yeah. Late 1800s uh, Scotland. Mm-hmm. He basically was the most evil man In Great Britain.
1: No kidding. He was
0: known as the most evil man. He was all about Satan worshiping. Mm -hmm. He was all about conjuring demons. He bought a house called Boleskine House. And Boleskine House was actually built on land that was a church that was burnt down with his entire congregation in it. Oh my God. It actually had the, the last man ever beheaded in Scotland actually had lived there also. I mean, it's just tons of bad stuff happened in his house. Well Alistair Crowley actually went in his house he did a summon of demons two specific demons from this book mm-hmm. it's a 6 month summoning so you got to start to finish a 6 months you got to do a little bit each day Dang. and supposedly what happened is he left before the the, uh, the summoning was completely done so all these demons that he had already summoned were stuck
1: well, why in the heck would you go to all that and get almost to the end and stop? He
0: actually had a friend that I think it was in France that had a, a major problem. He left to go actually help him.
1: Oh, so, my goodness. But these
0: demons were in there. And I mean, so much to the point to where Aleister Crowley even said that there were times where he would hear scratching on the outside of his door and beating and heavy breathing. To work. But he wasn't scared of this stuff because that's what he was trying to get.
1: Well, Yeah, I understand that, but you think the demons would be pretty pissed off at that guy for making them be stuck there, and you would think that they would go after him
0: in some form. I think they were just happy to be free. Well. This was his house. This was his demons and all this. Well, Kenneth Angler was a known Satan worshiper, worshipped Aleister Crowley. He is also a movie maker. Mm-hmm. So he made a movie that he had wanted Mick Jagger to write the score for, which he did. He even had Mick Jagger's brother was in the movie. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was, it's just, you know, it's one of those little cheesy B-type movies. Right. But it was about Satan, and that's that's all he wanted to do, mm-hmm. was movies like that. He goes to an auction because this Beleskin house that was Crowley's was for sale.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, he meets Jimmy Page there from Zeppelin. Jimmy Page actually outbids him and buys this house. Oh, See, Jimmy Page was also a huge Aleister Crowley fan. He never admitted he was a Satan worshiper, but it's obvious if you listen to, like I said, we could do a whole show on nothing but Jimmy Page and the Occult. There are tons of things that Jimmy Page has listed from, from symbols to what he's named, studios to messages and songs yeah. that flat up. Say he believes mm-hmm. he even said that he he incorporates Aleister Crowley into his everyday life. And if you want to be successful, that's what you have to do nowadays. You know, Aleister Crowley was somebody who admitted to doing children's sacrifices and the blood of a child was the most pure and all that. So Jimmy Page to admittedly say, hey, I believe in all this stuff and I incorporate this, it tells you that where his his frame of mind is. That's insane. It is. Kenneth Angler says, hey, I want to do this movie called Lucifer Rising and I want Jimmy Page to do the score. Mm -hmm. So Jimmy says, okay, I'll do that for you. Well, why did Jimmy agree to do this? Because remember I told you about the, the guy that was the last guy beheaded in England? Yes. There's rumors that you can hear his head rolling down the steps oh. in this Boleskine house. Nice. And Jimmy Page swears he could hear it, so he asked this Kenneth Angler guy to come over and, I guess, kind of cleanse the house uh-huh. and get rid of this. And in return, he agreed to do this score. Gotcha. Well, when it all came to done, there was all kinds of stuff going with this movie that were problems. The kid, the five-year-old kid that was supposed to play Baby Satan he accidentally jumped from him like a, a five-story window.
1: Well, how do you accidentally...
0: Well, he was a five-year-old kid. I guess he fell out the window.
1: Oh. Then,
0: then the guy that was going to play <laughs> the teenage version of Lucifer, he actually joined the Manson family. Oh, my God. And was part of that, though, <laughs> that. It just
1: gets worse.
0: <laughs> so then Paige isn't getting this thing to him, and when he does get it to him, he's not real happy with it, so he curses him. He says, I'm putting a curse Oh, on Jimmy Page,
1: great Jimmy,
0: way yeah, to go! So, you know, way to go, way to way to not put out the music, and <laughs> I, and you listen to some of the music. It's hard to find, but some of this music, man, it's just it sounds demonic. So I mean, there's there's no ifs, ands, or buts. So they puts this curse on them. Now you're talking mid seventies now. Right after the curse was put on them, they were trying to go on tour. John Bonham had several car wrecks, like three or four, so they had to keep canceling the tour. No kidding. Then John Paul Jones broke his left hand. They had to cancel the tour because he's the bass player.
1: Oh, yeah, so he can't play. Yeah, it can't mm-hmm. play.
0: Then Robert Plant and his wife were involved in a real bad car accident. Matter of fact, Robert Plant was in a wheelchair even when they did the Presence album.
1: Wow. Through the whole
0: thing. So then they had to keep canceling the tour. Now, notice Jimmy Page isn't affected by any of this stuff, right. it's just the people around him. So they finally get the tour going, 1977. And then they get to uh, New Orleans, and Robert Plant gets a call that his five year old son, Carrick, had died oh. from a stomach virus.
1: He dies from a stomach virus. Exactly.
0: So, I mean, it was, should have been nothing. So the curse keeps going on. Well, obviously, this caused a big split in the band. One of the reasons is because Jimmy Page did not come to Robert Plant's son's funeral. No. And Robert Plant blamed Jimmy Page and his involvement in the occult for even a lot of this stuff happening.
1: So they kind of pieced it together that, oh, this is why all this is happening. Well, they figured the, the
0: story goes back to, if you listen to some of the managers and some of the roadies, <laughs> The story goes back that Jimmy Page, John Bonham, and Robert Plant all made a pact with the devil. And John Paul Jones did not want to be a part of it. And he didn't sign the little agreement that they all three did. Right. Well,
1: that's probably a smart
0: move. Right. That that explains why why the three of them. Because keep in mind, John Bonham died a strange death in 1980. He supposedly drunk himself to death and just... So, like,
1: alcohol yeah. poisoning or something yeah, like he that? Yeah, so he
0: just drank too much and he died. In 1980. So the curse just keep going. It's funny because years later after Zeppelin, because they split up right after John Bonham. Years later, they ended up getting back together, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, and they did an album called Unleaded. It It was basically just acoustic versions of Zeppelin songs. But noticeably absent was John Paul Jones. Mm -hmm. So uh, most people assume that the reason that John Paul Jones wasn't part of this collaboration is because he's the one guy who didn't form the pack.
1: Oh, gotcha. Well, I wouldn't want to join that pack, that's for sure.
0: So let's talk... Like a bunch real... of
1: crazy asses. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we're going
0: we're gonna to talk real quick about Zeppelin Four. Okay. Uh, everybody knows Zeppelin Four because Zeppelin Four is the album that has Stairway to Heaven. Stairway to
1: Heaven, yeah.
0: The very funny thing about Zeppelin Four is it doesn't say Led Zeppelin anywhere on there. It's got a picture of a guy with a bunch of sticks on his back. And then there's four symbols on there. This is the first time anybody's seen the four symbols. It's got, you know, a symbol for each one of the actual musicians. If you notice Jimmy Pages, it says Zoso. It's <laughs> Z-O-S-O. He's never, ever said what it meant. He won't tell anybody. Supposedly he told Robert Plant and that was it. But Z-O-Z-O, which is Zozo, is actually a demon that's been around for thousands of years in lore, it is actually the gatekeeper of hell. Nice. It is a demon that you can conjure up a lot of times with a spirit board or, or a spirit box. It's like one of those demons you don't want to mess with. It's the worst of the worst. So it kind of makes sense that that's what that means. Also, if you look at it, you'll see the Z-O-S-O, and there's a little symbol at the end that makes it look like S-O-L. That's soul, S O L. That's another word for sun. Shit out of luck. Yeah, shit oh. out of luck. But That's that's another word for sun. Aleister Crowley used to use the word sun and he used to use the word S O L in terms of using, instead of saying that Satan, he would use those two
1: words. Oh, wow. Once
0: again, another one of those deals where Jimmy mm-hmm. Page threw little things in. Even mm-hmm. if you put that symbol backwards, it still spells S O L. Even on the, if you look at the whole symbol backwards, there's an S O L there also. Oh, uh, wow. When Jimmy Page opened up his studios, he named it soul studios which is the same as you saying satan studios tons of stuff like i said with the, with the jimmy page everybody's familiar with the zeppelin kind of emblem it's the old guy holding a lantern that's yes. actually from a tarot card uh the hermit and that tarot card was created by alistair crowley so it just goes on and on and on you know even to the point where jimmy page had his own bookstore an occult bookstore called the equinox And the reason he had that bookstore is he said he couldn't find enough good books based on the occult and Aleister Crowley. And he had all kinds of vintage transcripts from Crowley. He had robes. He had, you name it, all kinds of Aleister Crowley stuff there. Dang,
1: it's amazing how far mean, deep you could go into that stuff because, honestly, a lot of this stuff I didn't even know. It's very interesting and very scary at the same time.
0: It is definitely kind of scary. Well, that brings up our next featured little guest that we're going to talk about, Leonard Skinner. Uh, Now, I'd like to be able to say that luckily Leonard Skinner doesn't have any kind of uh, a cult or anything on here. It's just kind of a cool little story. So what happened with Leonard Skinner, basically, is they go out and, and make this album called Street Survivors. And if you've ever seen the Street Survivors album cover, and if you haven't, look it up you got a picture of three or four members of the band on there. Well, you got a lot of members on there, but the prominent ones, like obviously Ronnie Van Zandt, is standing there. And you can see them standing like in the middle of the street, but there's flames all around them. Why? Well, it's called Street Survivor, I guess. They oh, think well, I guess. They kinda...
1: look badass, I guess. So
0: Yeah, I guess. So they got these flames all around them. But it was just a matter of a couple of weeks after that album was released that they were involved in the infamous plane crash. Mm. So it's kind of almost yeah. profit-telling when you start looking at it from right. that standpoint. So what happened is, how did we get to this point? They went out and bought this plane. It was an old Aerosmith plane mm-hmm. that actually had had some problems in the past. That's why Aerosmith was getting rid of it. So they get this plane. Cassie Gaines, who was one of the backup singers in the band, and her and her husband, Steve Gaines, were both going to be on that plane. And Cassie, she didn't want to get on the plane. She wanted to go and ride with the equipment on the bus. And Ronnie Van Zant said, look, if it's not your time, it's not your time. Don't worry about it. Convince her to get on the plane. Yeah. Then Joe Billingsley... Called from Arkansas. And she said, look, I had a bad dream this plane was going to crash. Please fly commercial. They refused. They got on the plane. The rest is history. I mean, it was supposed to be going from South Carolina to Louisiana, and it crashed in the swamps.
1: Oh, my um, In Louisiana.
0: Killing, obviously, Ronnie Van Zandt. Yeah. Steve and Cassie Gaines. A bunch of other people that were, that were members of the band, production people, right. stuff like that. I mean, if the plane crash wasn't bad enough, then you had a situation with Steve Gaines and uh, Ronnie Van Zandt with Grave Robbers. You know, you got a situation where Ronnie is the main main one here because he was buried in his famous hat that everybody recognizes him for, barefoot, and had his fishing pole. Steve, on the other hand, was uh, incinerated. What do you call that? Not incinerated. What's it, what's that called?
1: It's called burned.
0: <laughs> burned up.
1: You would have called thought, cremation.
0: You would have thought that actually happened from the plane, but I guess the plane didn't do its job. So well, you know what? I do
1: not understand this whole grave robbing thing. Who the hell was to put all that work into digging all that up? I mean.
0: Well, I mean, I guess if you want to have the ultimate uh, Leonard Skinner collectible.
1: No, no, it still wouldn't be worth it the, to be. The
0: rumor is that Ronnie Van Zandt was buried in a uh, Neil Young T-shirt, which they had a long-running feud, Neil yeah. Young and and, uh, and Leonard Skinner. And that was the rumor that somebody wanted to see. They couldn't stand the thought he might have had a Neil Young shirt on.
1: Oh, my gosh. So, see, that's so petty. Now,
0: and- a funny little side note that goes on to this. Leonard Skinner, obviously, after after years of uh, putting stuff back together, Johnny Van Zandt, who is Ronnie's uh, little brother, decided to t- take over as lead singer. Now, Ronnie, supposedly, when he was like 15 years old, said, you're going to be singing for this band one day.
1: No kidding. Yeah,
0: so he kind of had foreshadowed it a little bit. When you seen the band back in the early days after they got together, when they did Free Bird, nobody sang it. They took, they took Ronnie's hat. They put it on the microphone stand, they put a spotlight on it, and they played the music, but nobody sang Free Bird. Because Johnny said he just didn't feel like,
1: oh.
0: out of respect, that he could do that. Oh, yeah, I understand that. Well, the story goes that one day Johnny was walking down the street, he saw a bird, he, he looked at it, the bird was struggling, he picked it up and it had some fishing line or something around the you know one of its wings and its leg, and it couldn't do anything. And he moved, removed the line, and the bird kind of flew off, and he said he just kind of looked up and... The bird flew up and kind of was sitting on a post or something, was looking down. And he said to him, that was his brother's way of saying, it's okay to sing that song. And from that point on, they started singing That's
1: cool. I mean, that's really great.
0: We're going to go to this last one. And I think this last one may disappoint some. It may shock some. And you're probably going to have some people saying I'm full of shit and this is my interpretation. But, you know, this is a story that I've known for years and years and years. And it's the story of Hotel California. Instead of going right into it, I need to tell you some background. Because once you hear the background, it will make more sense when we start talking about the lyrics. Have you ever heard this before today? No. And were you not shocked when you got into details?
1: Yes, I was very shocked. You know, it's kind of like when you've been singing the wrong words to songs all these years. (laughs)
0: Which which I know you to do. Oh, well, I do.
1: I'm sorry. And, you know, uh, Beast of Burden, I always thought it was pizza burning. So, yeah, there we go. But when I found out some details about... These songs, it was very, um, it was disturbing, to be honest.
0: I mean, we didn't even cover Stairway to Heaven. Oh, no.
1: And let me tell you, because we we kind of went over a little bit with that today. And I will not think of these songs the same way ever again. And I'm going to see that bald head on Stairway to Heaven. And I mean, you just have to, you have to really look into it to see what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, there's some very interesting facts that I would never have thought of. But when you hear the lyrics and then you kind of get the background, it really does all make sense now.
0: All right. So let's talk about Hotel California. First of all, Anton LaVey. Now, I know we've talked about this gentleman before, Aleister Crowley. He was a huge Aleister Crowley fan. Anton LaVey started the first Church of Satan, 1969, San Francisco, California. Mm -hmm. And the street that that the church was on, it was converted out of an old hotel and it was on the street, California. Gotcha. Thus the name Hotel California. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, remember that date, 1969, because we're going to cover some lyrics here. Now, think about it from this standpoint, because if you've listened to the song before, you may not have thought some of it made sense, but now it may make a little sense. So let's start in the beginning, or not the very beginning, but let's jump in a little bit because we're not going to cover all of them due to shortage of time. But it says, there she stood in the doorway, I heard the mission bell. I was thinking to myself, this could be heaven or this could be hell. So, right there, you've got somebody that's like, you know, which direction do I go? I don't know what I'm in for tonight, but, you know, I can Either can't. I'm
1: going to have good sex or I'm not going to have any sex, sort of like that.
0: Well, that could be, and uh, so that it could means, be
1: heaven or it could be hell. Yeah,
0: so I live in hell continuously, apparently.
1: Oh, shit, honey.
0: So, <laughs> here's, the, here's where it starts getting good. So, I called up the captain, please bring me my wine. He said, we haven't had that spirit here since 1969. Anybody will tell you, first of all, when you're actually talking about liquors, you don't ever use the term spirit for one. It's spirits as in plural, but it's never spirit Spirit. for one. So the fact that the Church of Satan was started in 1969 there... This is more in reference to the Holy Spirit of sacramental wine, the the blood of Christ. So when he says we haven't had that spirit here since 1969, that means basically there's been no Christ there since 1969. So let's go on to mirrors on the ceiling, pink champagne on ice. And she said we're all just prisoners here of our own device. But when you think about that standpoint, pink champagne on ice, mirrors on the ceiling, you're talking about divulging. You're talking about excess, you know, which is something people are known for in California. I mean, that's mm-hmm. where you got all the celebrities and, right. you know, start thinking like the Kardashians and everything is just overblown and $15,000 parties and, and what have you. So that's kind of what that's in reference to. But when she says we're all just prisoners here of our own device, what do you think about when you think about hell? What do you think about like in Creed's my own Prison? I mean, it's the same type of situation. You know, we're here because of our own actions. So that kind of makes you think a little more about hell. But if that doesn't really give it to you, the next line's will. And in the master's chamber, think about that, the master's chamber, they gathered for the feast. They stab it with their steely knife, but they just can't kill the beast. That's kind of blatant right there when you start talking about the beast. What else is that going to come to It goes right to the the Bible, Revelations, and, 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 you know, killing the beast. Now here's how the song ends. Now this is something you need a little more background on. He says, relax, said the nightman. We are programmed to receive. If you actually look at Anton LaVey, Anton LaVey is a bald guy, very upfront about Satanism. I mean, he, there, there is no ifs, ands, or buts. This is what you need to do. He did not shy away from it. And if you look at the old Hotel California album cover, which, you know, those don't have now, when you flip it open, it's a, a lobby of a hotel, a bunch of people. And in the upper balconies, overlooking in, in the shadows, you can see a picture of Antoine LeVay. Now, the eagles have all admitted that they had some dealings with the first church of Satan. So they don't deny that. And that is Antoine LeVay in the picture. You can actually look that up on the Internet so you can see what that looks like.
1: So you're not saying it was like a ghostly image. It was like no, a real put that, image. No, they
0: put that picture there. Oh, okay. Yeah. But where it says we are programmed to receive, that's one of the teachings of Antoine Levey. He tells you that they program their people. All the Satanists that are part of their church, they program them. So Mm -hmm. when they say we are programmed to receive, that's what that means. But here's the best part. You can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. That's how the song ends. Now, a lot of people hear check out and they think hotel. That's not what this means. When they say check out here, it just basically means you can commit suicide. You're not getting away. Your soul already belongs to the devil. That's basically what that's telling you. You can check out any time you'd like, but you can never leave.
1: Oh my gosh, see I would never I wouldn't I mean never would have think you know that's what that meant. And that is so creepy.
0: So with that being said, we have ran extremely over. This is gonna end up being a 34, 35 minute show, but I knew it would be, but we do have some time restraints, so we're gonna cut it short. If you like the music thing, please send me some messages because we can do one of these a month or we do nothing but music. Maybe it's an extra. Maybe we do our four regular shows and do one of these extra. But you can see, we, we barely even touched on any of this stuff. I could have done a whole one on Zeppelin and went longer than this.
1: Or well, I can sing for you either way.
0: Either way, it's horrific and you'll have nightmares. So <laughs> thanks, Tracy, for joining me. Thanks, oh,
1: thank you. It was a blast. All of you guys,
0: we appreciate it. Ricky should be back next week. So for those of you who missed him, I know I did. He'll be back. And uh, he'll be stronger, but right now he's uh, a little under the weather, so can't. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks, guys, for listening. We appreciate all your support, and we like to keep it going.
0: See you guys next week. Bye.
1: They would like to thank you folks for kindly dropping in. We're all invited back next week to this locality to have a heaping helping of their hospitality. Hillbilly, that is. I'll come back now. Here.